Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Catherine Schifferdecker. And I'm Eric Barreto. Today we're talking with Eric about uh, which gospel is true, and to join us in this conversation we have Matt Skinner. Hi, it's good to be here. Hey, Matt. <laughs> Welcome, Matt. <laughs> so uh, which gospel is true? I mean, this is a question that I hear in different ways, but what, why is it an important question to ask, Eric? So... You know, if, if we take a quick glimpse, uh, I think I started with the examples of Jesus' last words on the cross. We get these different last sayings, and some of them seem to fit well, rather well together, but some of them seem to be kind of contradictory, that he's saying um, this kind of cry of dereliction on the one hand, this cry of self-control on the other. So the question is, how do we hold these all together? Why do we have four Gospels instead of just one Gospel that smooths out the differences and, and gives us one clean story? Um, this is a decision that the church made long ago, something that we've committed to and that we've continued uh, living through, uh, that we're dealing with four stories and not one. Um, and I think the big question for us then is, how do we read them? How do we make sense of them? And um, uh, how are they true for us today? That's, uh, that's a great question, Eric. And, uh... I hope you can answer it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you get at it uh, in, in your essay. You talk about uh, the the uh, different theological witnesses of, of each gospel and uh, that while they are talking about things that really happened, they're coming at them from a different perspective and uh, even depicting Jesus in slightly different ways. So just maybe to, to get a little more detail or get more concrete, um, tell me just as a for instance, if we didn't have the gospel of Luke, what would we be missing from our full picture of Jesus? To be sure. Um, Luke contains a number of parables that are found nowhere else. Um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Those are big ones. Uh, yeah, those are, are, are parables so important that even if you've never read the Bible, you know them. Exactly. It's out there yeah. in the culture. It's in the air. It says something about their importance. But also it's a particular emphasis on, on the ministry of Jesus to the poor, to the marginalized, to those that, are, that we normally tend to exclude in our society. That's an emphasis that Luke brings in Jesus' life in the way that he interacts with people. So, for example, when he heals uh, uh, a widow's son who's died and he brings him back to life, um, it's striking that what Jesus tells the woman is, I give you back your son. Mm-hmm. If you're a widow in the ancient world, uh, you've lost lots of economic power. You're on the edge of society, on the danger of losing your life in a sense. Mm-hmm. So by bringing back the son, the miracle isn't just that the son is brought back from the dead, but that she's brought back into life as well. And those emphases are, are something that we would be lost if we didn't have Luke with us. Um, these are things that we notice when we say, have, sit down and, and read Luke in a single reading. You'll notice these emphases coming up much more sharply. What about, I think the question that a lot of people have, or I should say it this way, a lot of Bible readers say, okay, I get it that certain gospels have some information that other gospels don't. And I can put that together and Maybe Jesus said all of these things on the cross. He was in different moods at different times, whatever. But what happens when, like, Gospels don't agree, you know? So if when Mark says, and Jesus healed this man here, and then Matthew tells the story almost exactly the same, but it's two men. I mean, you know, I mean, there's places right. where it can't just be editing differences. Yep. It appears that they're telling the history yeah. differently. Is right. that... Or when Jesus uh, cleanses the temple, is it at the end of his life or at the beginning of his life? Maybe both. Or maybe I both. don't know, but I mean, it, right. just how do you... It, yeah. so a lot of people stumble over, and I don't always have a good answer for, mm-hmm. what does this mean for what really happened? Right. You know what I mean? Is that yeah. part I of think, this question? I think then what I try to point people to is to then look at 
um, a comp less the comparison and more what that individual gospel author is doing. So what's, what's Mark's uh, uh, theological purpose? What's, what theological problems is he trying to address? And maybe there's a way in which those changes are addressing those wider theological questions. So then maybe focus not so much on that, that particular story, that particular difference. But what's Mark's big agenda? What's he up to? And I think that sometimes can provide us can some you clarity. Give me a for example. Yeah, I, th I think a great example is the ending of the Gospel of Mark. It's a really striking ending because at 16.8, what we have is uh, the women don't see Jesus. What they see is an empty tomb and an angel. And uh, they go off scared and they tell no one. Uh, they tell no one what they've seen. And yet we know the story somehow, so they must have told someone eventually. But that, 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 that effect does is uh, remind us about a wider theological theme in Mark about who, the mystery about who Jesus is. So verse 1, Matt Mark tells us uh, exactly who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, the Son of God. And for 16 chapters, nobody gets that. Nobody understands who Jesus is, except the demons who get expelled, and Jesus tells them to, to, to be quiet. Um, maybe what Mark is doing there is at precipitating the reader to ask, do I know who re Jesus really is? Although I found out in verse 1 who he is, when I get to 16 and the women run off scared, at that point, do I really know who Jesus is? So I think that the way the stories end and those differences, I mean, so you have these um, appearance accounts in both Matthew and Luke that wrap the story up in some ways that I think are more uh, pleasing to us and, and that we like better, but that Mark's ending isn't just an accident. He's trying to force a question upon you and ask, and have you asked, do I really understand who Jesus is? So it's a, a rhetorical strategy to, to make the reader or the hearer of that gospel, probably hearer originally, to, to ask the question of themselves. I think it might be that. And um, so we see other examples as well, um, uh, the way that they allude to Scripture, for example. Mm -hmm. So Matthew is very specific. When he says this was done to fulfill Scripture, he tells you exactly what the Scripture is. Uh, Luke is sometimes a bit more subtle. He'll sometimes uh, shape stories to make um, to have you think back to Hebrew Bible stories without specifically pointing them out. Mm -hmm. So we see kind of different strategies about how the scriptures are being fulfilled in, in the midst of the Jesus movement. So tell me, Eric, uh, to, to get a sense of each gospel's theological witness, what, what would you suggest our hearers do? I think the top thing is, of course, to read them. Um, our, I think our, we often hear the Gospels in little chunks on mm -hmm. Sunday morning or yeah. in other sorts of devotional contexts. But to take the time, whether it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, however long it takes us to read, to read the whole Gospel, read the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Mark in one sitting, and get a flavor for what it is that they're doing. Now, our minds are constantly going to try to harmonize these stories and fill in the gaps. And that's something that's natural, it's good. I mean, we do it at Christmas, we do it at Easter. Uh, but as best we can, at least as an exercise, try to block out some of these other Gospels and just say, what is, what is Luke trying to teach me today? A, f a friend of mine, a college friend of mine recently came to visit, and she said she, she read through the whole Bible, actually, uh, front to back. And, uh, uh, that's a good direction to go. That's a good direction to go, yeah. But <laughs> Although you she get the said, secret messages when you go back, back to front. front. That's, right. <laughs> that's right. If you play them backwards, yeah. yeah. But she said when she read the Gospels, and she, she did do, as you just suggested, you know, reading them uh, all, you know, at one sitting, each, at one, uh, each one at one sitting. And it doesn't take that long. I mean, you can, you can do one in an evening easily. Uh, uh, she said she was just uh, amazed and um, enlivened by uh, her fuller understanding of Jesus. 
uh, you know, that he actually got angry sometimes. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, what we might notice are, are those things that make us sometimes a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Or maybe the, the things those, that don't make it into the lectionary. Don't make it into lectionary yeah. or don't make it into devotional or a, right. a nice devotional context that there are things that are sometimes going to make us uncomfortable or make us wonder well, what Jesus, what did Jesus really mean by this parable? Um, and I think that that experience of, of, of wonder and doubt is part of the experience of reading scripture and, and where the Holy Spirit meets us. That sounds like a, a, a great way to end. Thank you, Eric. Uh, and thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more information on enterthebible.org. Join us again.